Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Really happy you could uh, stop by, check it out, tune in. I hope you uh, enjoy this episode. Oh, by the way, this episode is brought to you by... Alrighty, and the sponsor is over and done with. Now, who is my guest today? I can hear you asking through whatever device you're listening on. My guest is Ben Bateman, a multimedia content creator and one of the dear friends of this podcast. As you'll hear me say at some point in the podcast, I forget exactly when, but I tell him that he is the only guest, as far as I know, the only guest that's been on every iteration of the podcast. If you've been with the podcast since the beginning. You know it was Bigger Boat Movies, then it transitioned to Terminator 101, and now finally, until the end of the human race, Eddie Green's 101, and the only guest that has been on every single one of those podcasts. You can't find the Bigger Boat Movies stuff. I um, uh, got rid of that, but trust me when I say he is the only one, um, and uh, that's it. You know, Bigger Boat Movies, Terminator 101, and Eddie Green's 101. You'll also hear me say, we're all a product of Ben Bateman. It was through his suggestion of going to this platform called Anchor that really got me fast-tracking a podcast. So I owe a lot to Ben, and um, it was just a real honor to get him on. I've you know tried to get him on multiple times, and he he just has an incredible schedule in terms of busyness. So uh, we finally made it work. Um, and uh, this is a real treat of an episode. Lots that we cover. So sit back, relax, get ready, get set, because it is Ben motherfucking Bateman. Alrighty, guys, and guess what? On the other end of the line, very soon, we are going to have Ben Bateman joining us here on 101. This is going to be a really, really fun one. I already know it. Uh, anyways, let's just uh, let's stop talking. Let's get Ben on the line, dial him up, and get this thing going, shall we? Ben Bateman, what is going on, brother? What's going on, man? Hey, let me just change the uh, the input here so I can hear you properly. One second. All right, you're good. All right, that should be good to go. Awesome, and can you hear me loud and clear? Yeah, man, you are loud and clear. As long as I sound good, we are good to go. Awesome, brother. All righty, sweet. All right, so um, I've already sort of done the introduction uh, for you, but uh, now that I have you on the other end of the line, I wanted to, because uh, I want to make sure you're aware of how many credits you have to your name before we even get this thing going here, just because uh, I was going through it. I actually had to make a list uh, compared to the first time I think you ever came on a podcast of mine. I think you maybe had one or two credits. Now it's I have to actually make a list to... to uh, keep up to date with everything going on in your life. So Ben Bateman is the host of Action Movie Anatomy, which was the introduction for me into uh, into the name Ben Bateman. He is also uh, very active with a YouTube channel called Action Industries. 
and the upcoming Nerds in Suits YouTube channel. Also a former Schmodown champion. Also host or co-host, I should say, of the Masters of Modern podcast, which is a Magic the Gathering podcast. And finally, last but not least, he is the vice president of a toy company called Kess, which that's the oddest credit I think that you have ever. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah, it's a it's a bizarre uh, little little cherry. Uh, I should I should I should uh, clarify the vice president sales, which is important because there are multiple vice presidents, but it is a VP position with a company that is, uh, believe it or not, in this weird time we're in, actually thriving, uh, which is crazy. You would never expect. Most most businesses are not, and uh, I think people just enjoying their time at home and, and needing something active for their kids to do has made hula hoops and jump ropes and play balls really successful. <laughs> and wild. What, and what this is all online, right? Like you actually have an online website for this. Uh, well, yeah, we do actually now, but primarily our our major sales component is through our our largest retail partners in the U.S. So Walmart and Target are our two biggest partners, um, and. So because they are considered essential because of their grocery business, there's a lot of people going into Target and Walmart right now, as well as some of our smaller partners like Meyer in the Midwest and HEB in the South and um, Albertsons, you know, like larger grocery chains. Basically, if you sell food and we are selling our products there, there's a good chance you are buying our products. And because we have the number one hoop, you know, it's technically not a hula hoop because of the brand name, but a hoop. We have the number one hoop in the world. Uh, that's a great item right now. You go to buy yourself groceries and you see a shiny, pretty hoop. And it's like, I should buy this because it's $6 and my kid's going to love it. Um, and it, and that's, I think the biggest reason that we are having at least sustained health during this pandemic, but you know, in some cases actually, you know, really strong business. And okay. So you actually just wrapped up your live stream on action industries, which, uh, is yeah. probably one of the most active, uh, YouTube channels that I've ever seen in terms of, uh, pumping out, especially now, like you guys are doing at least, it seems like three live streams a week, if not more. Um, and, uh, I know like there's a lot of talk about this whole COVID-19 thing and I'm pretty sure myself included, we're kind of getting sick and tired of talking about it, but really quickly before we go any further, I just wanted to get your opinion on this. Do you think, because I've noticed this as well, I've noticed that because now we're in this this period of time where we're stuck at home, literally, it's sort of, I think, dividing people into two different types of categories. You, you'll probably have the people that prior to this, they were already doing what we're doing, and now they just have an excuse to continue doing what we're doing. And then there's the people like yourself and myself as well, who this has been like, like a real beneficial time in terms of just inspiring me to really try to maintain a positive attitude and pump out as much content as possible and not try to do that whole, you know, quality over quantity or quantity over quality kind of thing. Like I'll always try to do the quality as well, but it's really kind of motivated me to, to, to really get on the ball of, okay, this is, this is a good time because people are in need of content. So do you feel like you've fallen into that category? Oh, I think it's a really interesting point you make, Eddie, and, and that's that so many people right now, if you're not a content creator, if you're not somebody who really has that creative spark, then you're home right now, you know, in an inordinate amount of time looking for content to consume. And, and sure, we have our places, our, our Netflix and our YouTube, or sorry, our Hulus and our Amazons of the world, right? And, and I love those places. I mean, I watch crazy numbers of movies and watch their shows, but 
I also am finding myself almost starting to get fatigue with those services and the prepackaged content. Um, I love movies and I really go out of my way to try to cover as much ground as I can, but there's a level of like ADD that I'm starting to get where it's like, I need to interact. Um, I have a really hard time right now getting through three, four, five, six hours a day of content when I don't have any interaction. And so I think that's where the live streaming for so many people has really picked up. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, for instance, our brand new show we're doing, the greatest movie ever made on action industries, that's a live show for a reason, you know, because we, we need to make sure, even though it kind of functions like a podcast, we want to be able to interact with people watching that show. And I think for me, one of the great things that has brought me strength in this time is making content, doing these streams and actually interacting with the action army, our incredible fans, this amazing fan base. Um, you know, our Patreon has has kind of given all these different levels of access to people. And so we get really get to know people at the highest level. You know, I'm on, I'm on Google Hangouts basically with 15 or 20 people at a time in attendance before every stream. Cause that's one of the perks. And I know all those people by first name basis now, like those, those people are becoming the people I talk to more than my family in some cases because part of my content platform. And so I think, when you ask, you know, is, is this a time that I'm motivated to make more content? The short answer is absolutely yes. I think the real question is like, how do you differentiate the content you're making in a meaningful way? And how do you make it, make sure that what you're doing is providing something unique? Because we're just at the beginning of this thing right now where people are picking up a camera and a microphone doing a podcast. We were, we were already in an era where podcasting and digital media was such an accessible, easy thing. So, so many people were starting it. Now everyone's at home. So people are, everybody from the elderly guy across the street to your friend's mom to your best friend from college is going to go, what's the thing I'm the most into? Can I start a podcast or a YouTube channel about it? Cause I have all this time at home. So the competition has also gone through the roof for guys like you and me. So you have to really make sure what you're doing, you have the passion for it and you're educated. You're an expert. That's a, that's a very good point. The oversaturation is like sort of become completely oversaturated and, uh, yeah, that's a very valid point you made there. Um, but that's good. That's good. It's uh, I was it. It just it kind of dawned on me as I was getting ready for today. I was thinking like, this is a this is just a really obviously it's a very bizarre time. But it's just specifically for content creators. It's sort of you know I and then of course I what I really worry about is at the end of this when this is all said and done, are the people that sort of fell into the the negativity of it all where you sort of just kind of you know stayed at home and you weren't very productive and you might have gained a lot of weight or whatever is that going to be a continuing tradition for you or are you going to be able to dig yourself out of that hole you know that like that's a whole other problem in and of itself you know what i mean yeah, I think definitely, man. I think the answer to that question, though, is if you look at the way the world is constructed, and I can't speak honestly on on really, really, really impoverished or really, really unfortunate parts of the world, because I think the challenges that are faced by people that have, you know, way less resources than I do, that's, that's kind of a conversation I'm not really equipped to uh, speak on. Like, I, I think people who have really, really, really difficult circumstances, it's not really fair of me to pass any kind of opinion on. But I, I would say that Americans and people who are you know, working people who can pay rent and, and have a life out here. I think the people that during this time that sink into that deep, deep level of depression and let their demons really grab hold of them and, and really lose sight, um, the ones that won't recover are the ones that weren't recovering. That when the worst parts of whatever political administration will bring you in depression, whether it was the Obama administration or the Trump administration, I think the people that 
are the most challenged by clinical depression or just generally aren't motivated. Um, I think those are the same people that were struggling before this happened anyway. And I think it's just going to be kind of more of the same. And I think the people that are going to use that low that they hit during this time as kind of the motivation to start a new healthy part of their life and lose that weight or you know, during this time, if they're they're really bored and depressed, to use it to, to seize that creative spark and do the podcast they've always wanted to do or something like that. Or those people that were already shut in, that never left and didn't date and were totally lonely. When this eases up, I think the people that look out are the ones who are going to take that moment. So I'm going to, I'm going to aggressively go out there and find my partner. I'm going to go and I'm going to live life in a way that I never was before this because it's made me realize how precious those experiences actually are. And I think... You know, I think there's definitely the the stress and the challenge is increased right now. Certainly for me too, dude. I'm gaining weight. I'm, I'm lonely, getting pale. It sucks. But um, at the same time, I, I also know I'm I'm taking the opportunity that I can to be positive and be creative because um, it's my nature. And the people that I knew that weren't that way before this, I think are kind of continuing to do the same thing. Now, you're in a very uh, unique position because a lot of what you do professionally is uh... – sort of one-on-one -on -one interaction, whether it be in studio or if you're doing like a like a red carpet kind of premiere. And are you looking forward to when that can come back and be normal? Or are you sort of maybe going to be a little more hesitant as, as that becomes normal again? Like, are you going to feel like you can ever go back to that 100% normally where you'll just be at a red carpet premiere looking around and not have anything in the back of your mind? I think that if I'm being optimistic, I think about the cycle that we're in and I think, okay, so if this is handled in the way that I expect it will be, then sometime, let's just say between six months and 18 months, I don't really know when, when exactly it will be, but there will be a moment, you know, when life returns to normal. Um, and there will be some things that have changed in that time, but I still believe that the same comforts that humans enjoy will come back and will be a thing that we all are used to. And that will be in the wake of, you know, a vaccine or different policies or, or the virus will burn out. I mean, I don't really know, but I do believe there will be a time and it'll be sometime in that time frame. And when that happens, of course, dude, I, I, I love that stuff. I mean, I, I really, really, really would love to go back to movie premieres and doing interviews. Um, I, I can't tell you how much I miss going to the movies. I think one of the things for me was back in 2018 when I started to, you know, really get to do that thing, that thing that I always wanted to do, where I was getting invited to go screen movies a week or two or three weeks early um, for free. You know, studios were inviting me. Like that was such an aha revelation, incredible moment and experience for me because I, I think I had always imagined that as a kid, like that that would be a thing I could do someday, review movies, and I can't do that right now. Movies don't even have release dates right now. I don't get to do anything. I'm, I'm worried that when this all goes away, the people that were working those PR positions that I had worked so hard to maintain great relations they won't even have jobs. I'll reach out to those emails and they will not have worked there for months. Like, I'm really worried about it. Um, I miss that. I miss the one-to-one -one stuff. I mean, we mentioned the, the stuff with the, with the toy company and my job primarily has been to fly around the country and the world to present our line. And I'm doing Zoom meetings all the time, you know, from my apartment. And like, I definitely think there's an end game to this. Like, again, like I said, things will adjust in a way, but the biggest parts of social interaction and, and like being comfortable around people 
Dude, you know how much today, this is actually interesting. I was walking today. I was on a walk and uh, I was walking down the street and this happens very rarely. So do not take this as like, this is my life, but uh, (laughs) car is rolling up behind me and it's slowing down and I'm like, oh shit, this is dangerous. This guy rolls his window down and he goes, holy shit, Ben Bateman. And I go, hey man. And he's like, dude, I can't believe this is crazy. I'm seeing you in the street right now. I'm the biggest fan. And I was, you know, eight feet away from him. And I was like, dude, that's so cool. I'm so glad to see you on the street. This is amazing. You know, like, he's like, wow, dude, I'm sorry. I don't mean to bother you, but like, this is so cool. And I was thinking about that. Normally, I would have gone right up to his window. What's your name? So I like to, if I ever meet somebody who knows who I am, I mean, it's a huge honor. I, I love to know their name and shake their hand. And then if he wanted like a picture or something, which maybe he would have, I don't know, I would have been happy to do it. Cause like I get it recognized so rarely. And if it actually happens, what a cool thing. I couldn't do any of that. I had to keep my distance, wave my hand. That's the life right now of somebody who is in trying to create a personality for themselves online or anywhere. I cannot interact with my fans the same way I cannot interact with a stranger or somebody I'm presenting to or trying to interview. I have to keep my distance from everybody. That is brutal. That's crazy. Like, okay, so that's a, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing because I'm sure like you almost maybe caught yourself, right? Like you maybe for just a split second were, were making your way over and then you, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, totally, this is all different, right? <laughs> I mean, Eddie, like when I, I've never met you in person, but you were a fan of our show from a few years ago. And when you reached out to me and expressed that you liked what we were doing, I mean, you know, I was totally flattered. You have my personal phone number. Like I... <laughs> I can't get over it if somebody likes the content I make. It really makes my day. Like, I really want to give back as much as I can. I want to try to create good in your life, you know? The idea that somebody rants, like, can you imagine this? Like, somebody says to me, I'm a massive fan. I think about people I'm a massive fan of. Like, let's pretend I'm driving down the street and I see Gerard Butler walking down the street. I'm in my car. And I'm having a one-on-one conversation with Gerard Butler. I'd be like, I need to get out of my car and take a selfie with you because this is ridiculous. What a random thing. I, this is so cool. I want to tell people I saw Gerard Butler on the street today. I can't do that. I have to go from a distance. I'm such a big fan. I'm sorry. I keep enjoying your life. I can't believe I randomly drove past you on an empty street when you were by yourself. But <laughs> I did go about your life now. I'll keep my mask on. What a weird thing we're living. It's weird that whoever this was, and uh, maybe if uh, they're listening, maybe they can uh, reach out and, and let you know who they were. But uh, it's weird that they didn't do like uh, like this could have been the beginning of a new kind of like selfie taking where you're sort of like, you know, the six or eight feet behind them, but you're still in the photo. And technically it counts as a as a, you know, as like a as like a photo opportunity, but you're just a little further back and, and then the, and then they could have shared it. And then, you know what I mean? Like that still would have been the, the photo that they were probably looking for. I know. So that's, so you asked the question about like, what do I miss or, or is it weird not get to do those things I'm used to? And the answer is definitely yes. And it's far reaching. It's, it's definitely uh, not, not like, not like quantifiable in one experience. It's kind of all experiences. I hated the, the, the online streaming with you know, Andrew, like I didn't like that at first. And I, I still don't like it as much as being in person, but it's what we're doing right now. You know, I have a new show launching next week. You mentioned Nerd and Suits. And, and one of the big components of that show is one-on-one interviews with people that I admire. And 
for now, they're all going to have to be done via Discord, StreamYards, you know, whatever. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It's all, uh, you know, even somebody that uh, that is uh, very inspirational to me, you know, Joe Rogan. I mean, arguably the 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 biggest podcaster of all time is is sort of resorting, and he is he is adamant about how much he hates not being able to do in studio interviews. But there's certain guests that he wants to get on, and they just will not come in studio. But they'll happily do a Skype or they'll happily do a Zoom and. And uh, you can even see it like they're sh- like they're shorter episodes, you know, like he just it's just not his thing because, um, you know, like a perfect example. And, you know, luckily you guys were able to fix it. But like tonight at the beginning, you you had a little bit of a lag between you and uh, your guest. And, uh, you know, that stuff is, you know, even in 2020, it's weird that that's even happening, that that we have this this issue of lagging. But, uh, you know, luckily you were able to fix that and uh, get it off on the off on the right track but you know stuff like that it just it doesn't give you the same flow as in person and uh yeah and i i've said before you know like i said this to drew but it's like when you really work with someone and and i would just say if you work as like an interviewer podcaster you get used to kind of um physical cues in studio and they're not as simple as like i'm gonna jump in here joe like they're not it's not as simple as that it's not like uh and right up next we've got it's like it's literally like you can hear the beginning of their breath. So you stop your statement a little before you would have, or you can see the weight shift from their shoulders when they're leaning back to leaning forward as you're finishing what you're saying and you know, they're getting ready. So you kind of know the beat to end your statement, like things like that you cannot replicate on digital. And that's the part that's so hard for me is like, I keep finding myself on shows with a thought that I want to, interject but normally i would know exactly when to interject and i constantly find myself talking over the last word of someone else's statement which i hate i hate doing that i don't like people that do that i think that's sloppy generally speaking as a broadcaster i think when you talk over someone's final words it's really sloppy and like yeah every every once in a while i guess if it happens when you're live like you're excited but I can't be like doing that every time I want to interject in a three person show. It's brutal. That really kills me. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy, man. And, uh, I had another guest on the other day and, uh, I was just asking them, you know, like this is, this is probably just something that needed to happen to really shake things up because I just think that, you know, uh, you know, I firmly believe everything happens for a reason. I know it's cliche, but it's, it's something that's, has shaken everything up like from the highest caliber to the lowest caliber everything in between it's all shaken up and and it needed to happen because we just probably got way too comfortable we took things for granted even something like that uh, an in studio conversation when you like when you go back it's probably going to be the greatest sensation of all time to be able to actually have a one-on-one conversation with somebody not have what you were just talking about there where you're waiting to 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 get that one little tidbit in there but oh wait hold on i don't know because there's a two second delay it's it's going to be the greatest feeling of all time and it's just going to rejuvenate everything i think so um it's you know unfortunate that it has to have a price but um i think it needed to happen and it's uh I think we're going to come out on the other end stronger. You know, I noticed um, as you were talking during the live stream tonight, I think somebody in the chat room, I forget who it was, but uh, they said, uh, you know, I love Ben's optimism and uh, it's, it's, it, you know, it is infectious. So you're definitely doing something great with these streams and uh, they're always, you know, 
if it's if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever you guys jump on, it's you know it's it's always making a difference. So um, uh, really appreciate that. And something that uh, I don't know if um, I don't think there's anybody else, but I, now that I have you on here, I wanted because this podcast has been through multiple iterations and. I always say that um, you know Joe Rogan is the guy that got me into podcasting, but Ben Bateman is the guy that made me realize that it's because this was back when you were talking about Anchor on Action Movie Anatomy that I could actually have a platform that could distribute it for like it was this kind of crazy thing. You've been on every single iteration of the podcast, whether it was Bigger Boat Movies or Terminator One Hundred and One, and now Eddie Green's One Hundred and One. So. Um, that's really cool. Like I just realized that not too long ago, I was th- like, "There's been no other guests. You've been on literally every single iteration." And um, the last time we talked, I think was like two years ago. Not counting that little thing I did for for your guys' show with Terminator Dark Fate, but like an actual full episode was like two years ago, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, man, for sure. I, I, it's so cool to see what you've been doing this whole time and really sticking with it. And, you know, the, the vision, the dream to kind of continue on your thing. And I was so happy when you started in the first place because, you know, I, I sometimes think about people who I admire and their careers. And when I follow them, they'll talk about one thing they did, a movie they worked on, a show they hosted or something. You look at their IMDb or their Wikipedia and it's like, okay, so this was like the peak moment they were down here. They kind of came back, what, whatever. And it's like, I think about Anchor, I'm like, well, that was a really, really interesting moment because they reached out and they hired me to do this show. And I did it for a while and I met with them in New York a few times. And in the end, you know, the Anchor platform changed. It became a podcast hosting platform, much more than an actual content platform. But that was what got me into reviewing movies actually as a critic, like an accredited critic. Like that was all my relationships with the studios to go screen movies early came from that experience because I, I sold them on the idea that I could. And it's very cool that during that time, that gig, that moment in my life, you know, that if I'm thinking about it, what I'm talking about, that credit on my IMDb or that section of my Wikipedia, whatever, neither of which are significant for me, by the way, I have neither, but uh, th- that, that moment in my life spoke to you enough that you started a podcast, that podcast became another iteration, and that is is what you're doing now. And I know it's brought you a lot of joy, and you've talked to some incredible people, man. I mean, your guests, Terminator 101, how cool. Like, I, I told stories about my interview with Michael Bean, you know, when I interviewed him at Comic-Con a few years ago. I, I believe you brought Michael Bean on your show. Am I wrong about that? No, yeah, you're absolutely correct. That was the That was the finale, I guess, if you wanted to put, like, any kind of a word on it. That was the last episode of Terminator 101. I mean, it's amazing. What an incredible guest. And Kyle Reese, like what an incredible guest for you to have on. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking like, wow, that was, I fought so hard with their publicity to get him to do this interview in a hotel room back in like 2016. And I was thinking like, you know, and this is with all the support of Popcorn Talk and Korea and all these, and like, you know, my friend Eddie, who starts the podcast, gets Michael Bean because you have passion for it and you care about it. And that's, Really, really cool. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed by that, and I think it's very awesome. And I'm very proud to, you know, been on here when I have been. I feel bad because there have been times when you've reached out to bring me on, and the nature of that sort of we were talking about the toy stuff for a minute, but the nature of that is, I remember all these times responding to you in airports, like <laughs> legitimately. I can, I can think of three different times getting a text from you or responding when I was like in Chicago or in Dallas or in like. And like, that's 
unfortunately the nature of that part of my life, which is that I love the toy business, but I hate that aspect of the travel. It's very hard to stay up to date and up to speed. Andrew's gotten very upset with me before for prep for shows and things like that, because like living in Air Force and on airplanes, man, like that is, I don't wish it on anybody. It's, it's not great. You, you definitely have a hard time with time zones. Self-service sucks. You get something just as you're taking off seven hours later. You hope you can respond to it. Like, it's not great. So I'm really glad I can come on tonight and uh, and be a part of this because I, I definitely don't feel great about some of the, the scheduling you and I try to get set up, you know? Yeah, no, it's, trust me, I uh, I definitely understand it. And it's never been, you know, like personal or anything. Like, I always know, like, you know, you're probably super busy and, and uh, so I'm just happy that like we were able to make this line up and and just to I think I've told you this before, but to just, you know, really like drive home how much of an impact you've had. It was your idea when I think you came on Bigger Boat Movies and you talked about, you know, reaching out to these people that, you know, had social media accounts or in the case of Michael Bean doesn't have a social media account, but his wife has a social media account and um, you gave that idea to me and I was like, all right, I hope Ben is okay if I credit him, but I'm going to sort of run away with this thing because that's a genius idea to just reach out to people and be like, Hey, look, I have a podcast and it's, you don't even have to jump on video. All you have to do is back in that time, you just have to download this app, which was anchor and, and you can come on my podcast if you'd like. And that's how I was able to get everybody, including Michael Bean. I was able to reach out to his wife and the wife passed the message along and he said, okay. And then it just that's how it formed but it all came from that suggestion on that bigger boat movies episode where you were like i think i'm just gonna reach out to these people because i don't see why they wouldn't say yes <laughs> yeah his his wife i believe her name is jennifer if i remember correctly yeah. is really sweet she's very talented she's very excited and it's so cool that she would you know get in touch with you and decide to do that interview because or, or at least encourage him, I should say, to do the interview because, you know, that's like, again, you think about, I mean, I don't know how old you are, Eddie, but I'm, I'm 31 years old and, and I 27. think about my life. Is, okay. Yeah. So I think about my life now, we're, we're not so far, like this age, this time of my life. And I think about like when I would eventually kind of be with that person, right. Where I would like kind of like their success and their career is my priority. Like I want them. And that's how Michael is with Jennifer. Like I know that because they work on films together and that's like what he was promoting when I met him at Comic-Con. The whole experience for him was I'm going to use my name, you know, and my association with these great projects to make sure that the films she's involved in are getting some play, right? Like he's like, that's my thing. And it's so interesting when you think about that, that you can reach out to her and she's like, well, of course, like he's been so good to me. I'm going to get him for you. That's such a cool thing to look at as a creator, you know, as, as we all kind of go about our lives that like, ultimately you do want to be with someone who believes in you that way. I think it's, it's really, really cool. I remember that feeling that when I met the two of them and it sounds very similar to the experience you had. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And is that sort of the direction you're going with nerds and suits? Because you were saying it's going to be more kind of, you know, long form conversations, right? Yeah, I think, um, so with Nerds and Suits, like the truth is, I have wanted to launch a brand called Nerds and Suits for a few years. The logo that is a picture was designed a few years ago. And I even had my anchor channel was called Nerds and Suits because at the time it was kind of supposed to almost be like the launch. And, uh, there was a brand called that, that I was going to maybe launch at one time with 
uh, kind of an afterbuzz affiliate with you know, Kevin and Maria, and that didn't end up happening the way that we all kind of planned. But ultimately, I am doing all these things now, and my life is very full. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very busy, and I know that Action Industries is this great, it's this great thing. It's this piece of content with Andrew and myself. We're very good together. We create really well together. But my dream when I got into hosting back in 2014 was I want to interview the people that I admire the most about their life. It's been the greatest ambition of my hosting career has been to do that. And I've always done it for another network or I've worked with someone else. And it finally felt like, you know what? I don't care if 50 people watch this. I'm going to do this. Like, this is the time to do this. I have the moment. I have the logo. I have the guests. I'm going to just do it. And I think for me, you know, what's the ultimate goal or dream? I mean, action industries is totally awesome. I think it's, we have an unbelievable fan base. Like I'm so proud of that and I'll continue growing that with everything I have. But even if it's just a passion project, for now i'll launch it that way i want to you know like like i have i have these friends that i've had on shows or interviewed and they like i've never gotten to just like one-on-one interview christian harloff or dan merle or 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 will forte or like these people who i like text and 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 i'm very comfortable with but like i want to do something where they're they are the person I'm asking questions to because I like am totally in admiration of what they do. And so and I know I mentioned that, the one-on-one stuff. And then my music was the other part of my career that when I was much younger was the biggest focus. And I've had this show, this music and movie show for a long time I've wanted to do. And the premise is like, I mean, Eddie, like, can you think of a movie or two movies where there's like a scene where a song plays? Not not like a score, but like a song where you're like, man, that is just perfect. That is an unbelievable use of that song. That is why when you posted the other day, the wedding singer, I seriously, that's yeah. one. That's one of the best ones, and instantly, and I saw that a couple other people instantly for some reason, I knew that was "Grow Old with You" from Adam Sandler. <laughs> totally. So you, exactly, you heard that, and that's that's how I feel about that song, right? I've I've loved that song my whole life, or since I heard it the first time when I was ten, and. I was thinking, you know, it's not just the song, it's the scene. I've seen the movie so many times. Billy Idol introduces it, he sings it, you know, Sandler. Like, I was like, that's great. And I'm a musician and I'm a movie guy. So I should explain why that scene is so special to me. Because I've seen, I've seen it 30 times. Like, I know it so well. And then I learned it, you know, I, I, I learned, learned it right away. It took me two seconds, right? Like, I played, I, I have 10,000 hours of music. That was my whole career at one point. So, like, it took me a second to learn the song. And I was like, how cool would it be to get to talk about my favorite songs and my favorite movies and then learn the songs and perform them? Like, what a great thing. And I was like, that feels so personal to me. And the whole idea of nerds and suits, which is really like the classy way of nerding out. Well, learning the song and giving credit feels pretty classy and pretty nerdy. So I'm going to learn the song. I'm going to perform the song. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it, right? And so that combined with the one-on-one interviews feels like, perfect way to launch the channel and I'm, I'm very excited about it like i don't in this time when you mentioned the oversaturation i don't expect it to be the end-all be-all i think you know it'll probably for it'll pale compared to most of the things i do but i'll start small and i'll grow it because i, I really care about it well look i totally get where you're coming from and i mean i've never been in that situation but 
um, I mean, it's just been played out throughout history, you know, like I was thinking as you were talking, um, I was trying to, you know, really come up with like a few examples, but it's sort of like, you know, the thing that you do with Andrew is like you said, it's awesome. It's great. It's giving you an incredible platform and, and, and a really loyal fan base. But then, you know, you're sort of like, you're sort of the Justin Timberlake of the group where it sounds like you kind of want to stray off and you want to do your solo career and you want to, and you really want to, you know, bring that to the forefront. And I totally get it because I, I would imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's sort of a, there's sort of this feeling of it's great to have a partner in this, but I feel like I can bring so much more to the table if it was, if it, if it was strictly just me, do you like, do you feel that? Uh, I, I think I'm so flattered by you comparing me to JT because he's, he's such an incredible <laughs> creator and like obviously he's a huge star. But I mean, the truth of the matter is um, the answer to the question is no, because I, I, I'm really excited about it. And I, and I am totally optimistic that I think I can make it this amazing thing. And it's always been my dream. And Drew even said tonight on the show, you know, it was like he followed me into hosting. But I'm a pretty, pretty strong believer. Like we can't build something like we've built uh, with action industries and that fan base, if we weren't both pulling our weight, like I think um, as much as I believe that my passion for it in the first place, and ultimately, you know, my passion for hosting where his is for acting certainly has elevated the concept. I, I am such a strong believer in Andrew's work ethic, work ethic and talent. Like I, we have conversations all the time where it's very clear to me. And he even said to me, he's credited me before, like, you know, your, your ideas are incredible. I know that and he thinks that, but like, I would not be even close to where I was if it was not for having a 50, 50 partner as talented as he is. Because I think like the truth of the matter is, man, when you talk about all these shows and all these streams, like it takes so much work and so much organization to get something like we have off the ground. That's why I say, I hope Nerds of the Suits is good. I believe I can make it great. And my passion is going to go a long way. But working by yourself is so different than working with someone. And if, you know, 20 years from now we look back and it's become the Justin Timberlake instinct moment, like, then I guess I had something in myself I didn't <laughs> believe I did. Because, like, that, I don't, I would never take away the work he's done. It's, it's such an astronomically large amount of work and such an astronomically large amount of talent to get the other half of that company off the ground. So... I am uh, I'm very, very, very flattered that you would suggest it, and I believe in myself wholeheartedly. But I think, like, the truth is one person is one person. And it's very, very hard to be able to, uh, you know, to, to do all the work. It's really hard to do. So if anything, this is sort of a, uh, this is like an experiment then for you because you want to see if you have enough of just you to be able to propel this content forward and then, you know, the response you get back from that, you'll be able to determine, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe the solo thing doesn't necessarily work as well as, like you said, with, with, with someone else where you have someone else pulling half the weight and, and, uh, and, and really come into the, coming to the rescue when you need it the most like is that sort of where you're coming from it because it's just i've never been in that situation so i'm just trying to trying to figure out where your mindset is because i would imagine if i was in that situation i'm a very independent person so that's why i suggested like maybe this is you know you just kind of really wanting to get this weight off your shoulder and being like all right i just want to do this by myself 
I think what it is is that, you know, when we launched, because Action Industries is a company, the proper company has been around for about 13, 14 months. Um, we, we started doing Action Movie Anatomy five years ago, but we didn't even really expand beyond just the one show till the Schmodown. And it really wasn't until, yeah, maybe two years ago when we launched the Patreon that we started to kind of be like, okay, there's like some something here. And I think the truth is, before he and I ever did that, I was doing a lot of one-on-one interviews and red carpets. You know, that wasn't his path. So a lot of my my friends who were, you know, on shows or in movies um, are people that I met at events. You know, uh, Christina Ochoa or Ricky Whittle or, you know, um, Anna Hopper or like p- people that I've interviewed in the past, John Shack, like people that... I really respect. And those were interviews that I was conducting for AfterBuzz and Popcorn Talk. And I think my dream was always like, it's a real passion of mine not to be the actor in the movie, but to create a company where I'm, I'm creating content and sharing experiences with these people that I admire, who I really think are awesome. And I think what happened was that action industries became the big passion because the fans were so great. Um, and a lot of the sort of fruits of that early labor um, that kind of experience became a strength of action industries. Um, but now it's sort of like the thing I imagined doing before that ever took, took shape is kind of what I want to do. And it's not like it's going to replace it or even be in competition with it as much as it's like, I kind of just know based on my experience in life that I can get pretty great guests and conduct pretty great interviews. And they don't have to be earth shattering. They just have to be the thing that I always wanted to do in the first place. And I, that's what, that's what I mean when I say it's like, it's not so much an experiment. I know it'll work because I know the content will be good. I just don't know if I'll have the energy to promote the sort of visibility of the company in the same way. Cause action industries has become this whole thing, like very organically. And I, I know that if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you'll get great content. That's what I can guarantee. hundred percent. I'll give it my everything, but I don't really need it to be my everything right now in terms of following. It's, it's really, truly, if you are a big fan of what I do, you'll get the best version of what I do on that channel. And that's, that's the reason I'm launching it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, when you shared the link, uh, I think a couple live streams ago, um, uh, I was one of the first to subscribe just because, you know, you are, uh, you're, you're definitely an, like a really good personality on, on camera and you've just, you've really developed. It's really interesting to go back into those, into those action movie anatomy episodes and kind of see the transition, um, of just how, how well versed you've become in terms of even just talking, you know, it's, it's, it's really an art form and it's something that doing even like a podcast like this, it's something that is like, has become a passion of mine and, do you ever kind of look back at your earlier work and really uh, um, kind of like dissect it and go, man, I like if I could go back, I wouldn't do or say it that way because I know doing this shit, I, I always do that where I'm just thinking, man, I wish I could have been a little more articulate there or I wish I would have got rid of a few of those ums or likes or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, dude, the ums, the uhs, and the ahs are so bad. Like that's like, every broadcaster ever i think you know there's this uh this promo you can guys can watch on our on our uh, youtube page the action industries youtube page it's, it's like the action industry is sizzle reel and you can see it starts and it's like 
great music and I'm on camera, a much, much younger, much skinnier me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, welcome to the very first, the, uh, the maiden voyage. It's the, the first attempt at um, action movie anatomy or something like that. And it's the very first episode from you know, Air Force One, 2015. And just the way I introduced it, I like interrupt myself three times. I can't just say, welcome to the very first episode of Action Movie Anatomy. You know, like that's like what I needed to say. That's like, that's the way to introduce the show. But it was like my first one I'd ever done. And so I, I look back at some of the old stuff and some of the shit that I've done. And the funny thing is, Eddie, like I, it's not just the old stuff. There are still those moments when I get the opportunity to like do something great, but I still do something I'm not happy with. Like still to this day, I will still do dumb stuff. Um, you know, there's also stuff that's great where you really feel like you execute and you handle your shit, but that that's like sort of the nature of, I guess, being like a personality is that you, in the same way that you would speak to your parents on a phone call, or you would be in an argument with a good friend or a, a loved one and you'd try to express your point, you know, like you want to be a great orator. And sometimes your thoughts are very clear and very concise, and sometimes they're not and you kind of jump around. And I think one of the great sort of lessons I learned from uh, long before I was hosting, but when I was songwriting and I was performing music for a long time, is that you'd always think about the songs you'd write and the inspiration you'd draw from and like a line in like a verse of a song, right? Like the story you're telling with that one line. And I think the best indicator of like, is it a good verse or a good line or not is, is it clearly expressing what it's supposed to say in the time given, right? Like in, in like two bars, you know, 12 seconds is the verse telling the audience something they can hear and hold on to, or is it kind of like convoluted and maybe the melody's a little weird or the lyrics are very vague. And if that's the case, then the audience won't remember. So if you're sitting there interviewing like a hero of yours and you go on some big tangent about like you did this, it was incredible. I loved this. It was, it was one of the most impactful experiences in my life. Pause. They go, yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess my question is right. Like that's I've done that before. And I think the interesting thing is like the true professional, the pro who's not stumbling over their words or interrupting themselves in their intro. Like I said, is just like, in my favorite scene of this film, you say this. Does it mean X? What did you mean when you said X? How do you compare it to Y? You know, like that's how it works as a broadcaster. And I think when you say going back to the beginning, do I do I like cringe? Not at everything. I mean, but definitely some things where I just didn't totally get how to be clear. You have to just be clear. But isn't there a there's a there's a romantic like like there's a real romanticism to that of going back and looking at earlier work and just knowing that, you know, it was perfectly imperfect. And and I feel like if if you're ever really hard on yourself, no matter who you are and no matter what you're doing, if it requires speaking and people hearing that speak, if you can look back on it and be OK with it being perfectly imperfect and knowing that you've always tried to progress further and further, because one of my favorites. Do you ever watch Hot Ones on YouTube? 
I mean, I've watched like two or three episodes for like, you know, big clips when like something awesome happens. But yeah, I'm not like a week to week fan. Gotcha. I think that guy, Sean Evans, the host of Hot Ones, he has and he consistently gets it like from everybody that he has on that show. He'll always get, dude, you are such a great interviewer. And yes, he does have the you like you'll notice you can see he has a little paper in front of him. But even even having sort of, I guess, the questions pre-planned. He just has a way of naturally flowing and he just has this persona that, you know, I've lately really gotten into hot ones. Thanks to like really thanks to this quarantine. And and it's really sort of been a, like a nice little education in terms of just watching it and seeing just because you would imagine this is the first time he's in front of, you know, uh, Bob Saget or Sean Mendez or, you know, uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson or whatever. And he's not stumbling over his words. It's really incredible. So um, I was wondering, like, if like if there's any kind of tips and tricks you have, if there's anybody listening that has that kind of not a disability, but you know what I mean, like this like this thing that gnaws at them of I can't articulate myself one hundred percent. Yeah, I think the, the the piece of advice that I have for that is so number one, recognize that your real goal when you meet someone you admire and you want to ask a question to is they remember that like, if they're a person that's significant, like if they're someone who's been interviewed a lot, they're just sitting there waiting for you to ask them they've heard before. Right. Like they're, they're, they're literally sitting there asking you to ask some, sorry, waiting for you to ask something that's just that's like mill. not interesting. They can give you a stock answer to. Cause like, I mean, take Tom Hanks or somebody, right? Like, He's been asked the same questions a million times. How many times do you think he's been asked, like, what did it feel like to play Forrest Gump? <laughs> How was it working with this director, right? Like, a million fucking times. And so think about that before you even enter, before you even ask a question, because you'll be so excited. You'll be so enchanted with the idea that you're asking a question to a favorite of yours. Once you can get past that, then I think the real part of what you're doing is ask something interesting. It can be nine words, you know, like it can be seven words, six, ask something interesting. And if you do, and if you're calm and you sit and you go, here's my question. Tell me about something interesting. I mean, not that actually, but if you deliver it that way, then Brad Pitt's going to look at you and he's going to go, Something interesting. Hmm, that's a really interesting question. Well, I, I think the truth is, and he'll give you something meaningful, and you'll forever be like, wow, when I asked Brad Pitt this question, he said this, as opposed to like, I probably watched Fight Club a hundred times, and I have to say, you're, it's, you're probably the single coolest performance in the history of movies. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. Pause, awkward silence. Well, I guess my question is this, right? Like, that's the instinct that I think a lot of interviewers have is to be like, I'm talking to Brad Pitt. I'm going to say something unique to me that is going to make him feel awesome. But then what do I do? And so just make sure, remember, that no matter what it is, no matter who it is, no matter what you're doing or what the venue is, you have something that it's an actual question. There's a question mark at the end of it. And they're not going to have some stock answer to it. If you think it's unique and it's not, that's okay. Right. Like I, I have this memory of working with a host. We were doing the premiere for La La Land back in 2016, I guess. And uh, it was a world premiere and Gosling gets down to the end of the carpet and 
she's like, I did my research. Gosling plays in this band called whatever it's fucking called, right? And she's like, she gets her question, and I can't remember the name of the band. She goes, oh my God, Ryan, I'm such a fan of your music and whatever, his obscure band. And you could see his face, right? He was legitimately like, oh, thank you so much. Pause. <laughs> she didn't have a follow-up. She said something dumb, and then it moved on. It was like, that was her moment. She was like, I'm so proud of myself for having researched that he has a band I'm lying about that I'm a fan of. And he knew it. He could feel it, right? He could tell. He was like, she's not a fan of the fucking band. She looked it up, and she said that. Oh, that's she awful. She didn't ask about a lyric in my song. She didn't, ask, she didn't say something interesting. She just told me she knew the obscure 17th detail on my Wikipedia page, which, like, that's a great example of just, like, I you can't go into these things thinking that if you do the base level of research, you're special. It's gotta be the base level of research plus your actual talent as a personality that makes it special. Exactly. And so if you're somebody who's in this business and you want to make an impact, do your research and ask a good question. Like really, truly ask a good question. One good question is all it takes. Oh man, I was even cringing as you were like telling that because I just, I honestly felt bad for Gosling and there, I mean, there's no, there's no reason to feel bad for him, but damn, like they, they must get so much of that just phoned in kind of questionnaire, right? Like they just must get so sick and tired of that. And that's, that's honestly probably why they come off kind of dickish and they're really not even trying to be dickish, but they're just, I would imagine that gets really tiresome. Well, it's, it's like, it's not even, it's not even like he knows right away that she's full of shit, right? Because like, think about that for a second, Eddie, like, let's pretend tomorrow, you know, local casting call in your town. Let's say you get cast as the ninth lead in Stranger Things season four. And let's say you go and you, you, you film it. You're, you're, you're in like four episodes, a big deal, right? And you're flying to LA to premiere and you're on the carpet and you're like, everybody keeps asking me about my fucking character. You know, this, this, whatever, this moment I have. And all of a sudden someone says, I'm a big fan of your podcast, Eddie Green's 101, your YouTube channel. There's a moment for you the first time where you're like, that's fucking cool. Someone knows my actual thing, thing that I do. And then the 20th time, it's like, uh, maybe they, and then the hundredth time, you're like, you just looked up my name on Google and you've seen that I have a YouTube channel and that's why you're saying that. But you don't actually know who I interviewed. You don't know the inside jokes. You don't know anything about it. Right? So, so it's like you have a moment when you hear I've looked up your YouTube channel and you're like, eh, okay. That's how I like him gossiping to in that moment where he's probably like, yes, I'm aware of the fact this is on my Wikipedia. So if you ask me something really specific, probably I'll give you a good answer. But otherwise, I'm going to be like really nice to you and move on. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, very true. And that's that's honestly one of the brilliant things about that Hot One show that, I mean, just on top of being a great interviewer, the con like the construct of that show, not just doing a standard interview, but doing it while you're eating increasingly hot chicken wings. That's a that's a brilliant concept. And he's consistently being congratulated on that. And I don't know if he came up with it himself, but that really is a brilliant way to kind of uh, flip the traditional interview on its head and, and, and introduce this, you know, third element of, you know, I'm going to interview you. I'm going to ask you specific questions. I'm going to ask you some off ball, like, like off the wall kind of questions, but I'm also going to make you 
chow down on chicken wings that consistently get hotter and hotter. And by the end of it, you're going to be crying, you know, like that's, it's a brilliant concept. No, it's, it's so, it's so good. I mean, in our business, when you're pitching concepts in LA and, and original shows and stuff, I mean, that's one of the big ones that comes up and everybody's like, I want to be the next hot ones. Right. Like it's one of the big ones that I people reference. Cause it's like one of those concepts that's like, what a cool idea. What a, what a cool, <laughs> what a cool thing to do. Like you can, you can, <laughs> have people eat chicken wings and interview them right so it's like okay i'm gonna do a one-on-one interview show like my show but there's nothing there's no gimmick like i don't expect my show to take off because i'm interviewing people like i'm doing it because i care about it if i wanted my show to take off then you have to have something like a a hot ones right that's the only way yeah that's the yes so it's that's the that's the real tricky part is can you do it gimmickless and you know i mean there's definitely been success upon success of that so it's not like it's impossible but it really does boil down to that personality and you know you got that in spades man you got that you know that's something that you've you know been doing for for years and years and and uh that's sort of your education you know like you don't have to go to school for that stuff it's just you get out there you do it you do it you do it and in 2020 going into 2021 i mean you're at the top of your game and um, do you ever feel like there's still stuff that you have to learn or do you feel like you you know you have literally solidified the perfect hosting ability. Oh, no, no. I mean, there's, dude, there's so much I have to learn. Like, I think, I think for me, one of the big things that I've started to realize is that, so the classic version of hosting where you're like a Ryan Seacrest, you're like a real big smile, with white teeth on camera and talking about a subject, you know, that's a thing of the past. That's not really what exists now. Um, everything with live streaming culture and social media has made it so that like, if you're going to be a host, like you kind of try to live your product all the time. Like, you know, cause you need, you need Twitter, you need social media, you need Instagram at this point, fucking TikTok. And like, so with that being said, it's kind of like the big things for me to learn are how can I be a better functioning person and human? I don't want to be someone who's like, being honest about who I am in the best parts, but dishonest in the worst. I want to be on camera and be like, you have a question about how to live your life in a healthy way. I'll answer it. You know, you have a question about my interests. I'll tell you the answer in a way that inspires you. That's what I want to be. I think, you know, like there are weird pitfalls and, and obstacles. Like I, I talked about earlier tonight, like, you know, politics is a great example where it's like, I don't want to talk about politics. Like, that's not my, that's not me. It's never been my brand, never been what I do. I, I believe what I believe, but it's like, I don't need my audience to be on board with me with that. That's not the point. And I think about like, you know, taking strong stances on shit live on air. Like I'm entertainment. I'm not a political news show or, or a lifestyle news show. So the things for me to learn are like, how can I be more authentic? How can I be more truthful? with who I am as a human. That's like, you want me to interview Tom Cruise? And he's like, you know, he's my hero, but like, I can interview Tom Cruise about his career. I can do that in my sleep. He's my, he's, I'm the biggest fan, right? I love movies. All I do is watch movies and talk about movies. Like, are you, do you really think there's someone in the world that could talk to Tom Cruise about what he has done in his career in a more excited way than me? No question. I would be able to talk to Tom Cruise in the best way possible. If Tom Cruise said to me something like challenging about his lifestyle, hey, I do this 
I believe this is the right way. I eat this way. I work out this way. I drink this way. What do you think? Being able to answer honestly and truthfully, that's like the challenge for me, right? Like that's what everything in hosting now is. is does your audience listen to you and go, I like think this person is awesome. I like really believe they're an awesome example. and I like listening to them daily. That's where my biggest challenge is because I don't think that the traditional hosting stuff really is. That's not, that's not the challenge anymore. Like, I don't, I just don't see it. It's okay. So I, I love that you brought up Tom Cruise because um, I know that you are, like you said, you're the, you're, you're, you're the, you're the number one cruiser. If, if there ever was one, like that's sort of what I guess, like the, the backbone of, of of your branding is sort of uh centered around or, or not centered around but it's sort of like always like just there you know what i mean like anytime someone brings yeah, up tom cruise and, and admittedly a very big fan of tom cruise i think it's fair to say yes and um when i when i transitioned the podcast to eddie greens 101 i knew i always wanted to um because i have a lot of interest and i have a lot of curiosities and and i wanted to branch out and 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 talk to as many interesting people as possible and there was a great episode of the Joe Rogan podcast where he had um, his name is Ron Miscavige. And before we get like too like diving deep into it, because I know you're not big into politics, he's he is the father of the leader of Scientology and he okay. and he escaped the church in 2012. And this was, you know, all told to Joe. And I felt like. Joe didn't ask him as many of the questions that I wanted to have you know, heard the answers to. So. I reached out to him on social media, Ron Miscavige, and I got him on. And long story short, he was on the podcast not too long ago. And I asked him because I'm like you, man. I was the like I was a huge Tom Cruise fan. And I was able to separate the artist from the person. You know what I mean? I was able to look at him as a movie star and okay, yeah, he practices Scientology, which is some crazy shit, but okay, that's that's his life after diving deep into it and I've sort of gone down a rabbit hole of the whole Scientology thing and, and, and hearing Ron on the other end of the line, like you are right now, I asked him at the end, I was like, so is it safe to say you're not rushing out to see the latest mission impossible movie? And he came back and he was like, no, I'm not. And, and I was like, okay, do you feel like people that are fans of Tom Cruise are wrong? Is it wrong to be a fan of, cause he's arguably, you know, the, the poster child for Scientology. And he said, you know, be who you want. Like, if that's your thing, go ahead. But it's just something that, you know, I'm not rushing out to see the latest Mission Impossible movie because I know I'm supporting the, you know, essentially the second most powerful person in Scientology. And I wanted to get your opinion on that because um, it's very well known that he is very outspoken on the whole Scientology thing. But are you able to separate that? Because it's challenged me now after hearing Ron, you know, talk and 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 the horror stories of what goes on in Scientology, I've kind of questioned, like, should I be a Tom Cruise fan? Like, it's sort of a weird thing that I've been battling, and I just want to get your input on it. Yeah, I think, like, the truth of the matter is, man, like, if I think about things I enjoy in my life, if I wanted to investigate really fully and clearly in a way that could take, like, a stance, there's probably a lot of things I would stop doing, right? Like, I think the truth of the matter is I'd probably stop eating meat. I think that's an easy that's an easy one because I think it seems like that industry is horrible. Um, I think uh, this is a taboo one, but I think pornography is one that seems pretty. The the information behind it is pretty horrible. Um, 
So I think if you start to think about it that way, there are a lot of things you could question yourselves on, uh, yourself on. And I, I guess I, I have in some cases, but with Cruz, I think about the massive impact, right? Like my lifelong impact that Cruz has had on me um, from the time I was a little kid to now. And it goes so far beyond my stance on a, I guess, you can't call Scientology political, but my stance on a moral issue. It's not that I think that if somebody gave me a textbook of these are what, these are the things going on in Scientology, are you still a fan of Tom Cruise? It's not like I would think the answer is yes. Because probably the truth is, if I took the time to do the research on that or any of the things I'm talking about, like, I, I would you know, like probably never eat meat, watch porn, eat, drink bottled water ever again. Like there are a lot of things that are really, really, really intense, not great. Um, but in the same way that I can watch Hacksaw Ridge, you know, with Mel Gibson, like I appreciate the sort of movie star value of Tom Cruise. I appreciate the entertainment value, the 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 business not business but like the movie business value of Tom Cruise um, in a way that I think is really unique and I like totally understand the the complaints and criticisms of Scientology again I think there's a good chance that if I really took my time and, and listened to every story and believed the information that I had obtained was totally accurate I would rebel. But as it stands, the person that I follow and, and I'm a big fan of is this movie star personality of Tom Cruise. Um, and, and, and truthfully, even a lot of what he has said in his personal interviews that I've listened to, a lot of his philosophies about life, I think are pretty great and I agree with. You know, that can't speak to his life philosophies on Scientology because, like, that's not a subject I've done the deep dive on. And I kind of, on some level, I guess I'm avoiding doing it. I guess I'm afraid to do it. <laughs> but, you know, because I think I know if I really did a deep dive based on the people I respect and know and their opinions, I think probably, yeah, I'd have a problem with it. It, it is but a rabbit hole. Still, yeah, totally, man. But, like, that's kind of my point is I think there's a rabbit hole you can chase down with a lot of things you love that would really make it hard for you to do a lot of the things or support a lot of the things that you appreciate and love. I think that's kind of the nature of the world we live in. And it's not that everything is evil. It's that you can kind of structure and, uh, you know, form a really, really, really critical opinion of a lot of things you think are great based on those realities. And um, with Cruz, he kind of lives in his own little world, his own little bubble as far as this is concerned with me. Because, like, it's not like I think that, like, when I watch Risky Business (laughs) – you know, or like, or like the color of money. I think that Cruz was like anywhere near as aware of sort of the impact he was going to have as I do if I watch like Mission Impossible Fallout. You know, I think 30 years, 40 years makes a big difference. Um, but, but I mean, I, I think the truth of the matter is there's a charisma and an enthusiasm with Cruz that I think is unbelievable. Like incredible. Like he's like a he's like an all time level just like wow, what a magnet. And if he's sitting on stage talking about Top Gun Two and giving that like cruise magic, until I get convinced that I need to not do it in the like sort of Bill Cosby type of way, 
I will still get excited. That's an interesting response that no, like that's really interesting, especially if, you know, you're comparing it to the whole, you know, where, where is that fine line of where you sort of stop respecting the artist and, and yeah, Bill Cosby, that's a, that is like probably the prime example. Um, I think for me, the thing with, 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 uh, Ron talking to him and, and, and talking about Tom Cruise's, um, one of the policies of when you leave Scientology, it's called disconnection or, uh, yeah, yeah. Disconnection. So obviously when Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise got divorced, she left Scientology and that means that he disconnects from her completely. And that's fine because he divorced her, but that also means that he disconnects as far as we know. I mean, he might have powers that we don't know about it. He is Tom Cruise, but he disconnects from his daughter and he hasn't seen, Ron told me that he believes he hasn't seen his daughter in like seven, eight years. And that, like that hit me. Like, I was like, wow, like I didn't think about that, you know? And I knew about the whole disconnection thing and, and whatnot after hearing like Leah Remini and, and whatnot. And, and it, it, it just got me really thinking. And I mean, I'm still kind of battling it because like you said, he is Tom Cruise, you know, he's, He's been in some of my favorite films of all time, man. He's been in, you know, I think we have a real uh, similar passion for Magnolia. Um, I think, you know, that's arguably his greatest performance. But, I mean, even something like Eyes, Wide, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut, uh, you know, um, you were uh, saying The Color of Money. I've never seen The Color of Money, but I know that that is, you know, Amazing. right? I've heard great things about it. A Few Good Men. I mean, the guy has just made such an impact. So it's just something that I've been battling with. And, uh, I don't know, after hearing that, I was like, ah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's really been bugging me. <laughs> I think, I think Eddie, what I would say to you is like, okay, so number one, if you hear confirmation from Tom Cruise or his daughter that he has not talked to her in eight or nine years, I give you permission to judge completely. Right. Like that's the first thing I would say is like, I believe based on tabloids, based on like hearsay, it is really hard to believe information unless you hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Not to say that it's not true, but I'm just saying it is really hard for me to hear like some person who is close to the church saying like, well, Tom Cruise hasn't talked to Surrey in this long. Well, if Surrey or Tom Cruise hasn't said it, it's, a, it's harder for me to be like, that is true. And this is even with me, like, still staying, like, kind of disconnected from the personal life thing, because I do believe that the art, the separation of personal and art is pretty important. That being said, on that next level of, like, yeah, kind of the way you would judge that person you love or, or respect or, or, or what have you, I think, like, so I think, like, the first thing I would say, like I said, is that the the sort of wait till you hear a story like that from from a Tom Cruise, you know, or 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 from Surrey and as far as the separation and, and not seeing each other. I think it's like a totally fair criticism. And I think like you know, the you the person you were talking to saying that that's the nature of what's happened is totally concerning. And um I guess if there was confirmation of that, like it, I guess it probably would change my sort of ability to enjoy. Not not to say that like again, the line of separation of artist and art is pretty distinct. Um, but I guess the second part of it is like, you know, you have the the fortunate sort of experience of interviewing somebody who is close to the church. And so that means that you get to have a, a talking point of someone who feels educated, but most people don't. 
Most people won't. Most people will not have any ability to actually have an informed place. They're going to think Tom Cruise, weirdo, Scientology, movies. And it's really going to come down to ultimately, like, what is the thing that they want to enjoy more? Um, truthfully, like, what is the thing they want to enjoy more? Do they want to enjoy Leah Romini or, or whatever thing that is criticizing Scientology more? Or do they want to watch Mission Impossible? I can't really fault anyone for either option. It's just for me, when I think about the stories I hear and the kind of things that I hear in real life about, like most issues, they're pretty despicable. Like I can make pretty strong decisions about most things. So I want to just like trust what I hear, but ultimately until it affects me personally, or I have like that personal story that I'm like, that's definitely true. I kind of just got to go with like the vibe of the thing I follow and how the artifact would be. And I think with, you know, I can admit with Tom Cruise, like there's a level of, yeah, I, my, 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 my red light's gone off. Right. Like I definitely feel that, but I am sort of still waiting for like that thing to happen where I'm like this quote, quote cult that is so destructive has now been actually exposed. Cause like, I don't know, man, a lot of things that are really awful, a lot of like horrible people, that sort of group mind of like, this is the devil. Until I see something that I just truly and fully believe in some way that's just infallible, it's it's hard for me to just get outside of the, this is something people want to buy into because it seems exciting. A cult seems exciting. I'm not saying Leah Romini is wrong. She's definitely not something that I would speak on, but like, Where's my proof other than like a couple documentaries? I've never met anyone. I don't know anything in per like in like personal effect. Cruise keeps working. I've never heard a single bad story personally from anyone I've ever met that has ever met him. I've heard like 50 great stories, but never a bad one. It's hard for me to like totally jump on board. And I, and I guess I'm willing to admit that. It, if that, that story happened or that that piece that exposed it all happened, I guess probably I would have to stop watching cruise movies. Honestly, it would probably be weird for me. Well, that's that like, stands, I can still tell the line. Well, that's like, um, uh, not that long ago. I watched that movie 21, that gambling movie and yeah. Kevin Spacey's in that movie. And dude, that was, that was a tough watch. Honestly, like seriously, that was, and I didn't think I would feel that. Like, I think, Going into it, I was like, uh, I know Kevin Spacey's in this, and yeah, okay, I know what I know, and it's been exposed, and, and there's the story. Okay, I can get past that. I can watch this. And then he plays this really vile character, and I'm just, and it, it was a tough watch. I, it, it was really hard for me to separate the art from the artist. And, you know, that's sort of, um, you know, there's that really great interview that uh, Cruz did when he was promoting War of the Worlds. He went on the Today Show. And he talked to Matt Lauer and, you know, you know, obviously the whole Matt Lauer thing aside, because that happened, but back then no one knew anything. And just that, just that interview, you know, Matt Lauer does talk about Scientology and it's a real, like Tom Cruise he's, he's gets very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. He gets real defensive in that, in that episode. And then from that point on, you really don't see any interviews with him talking about Scientology. Um, well, I think, I think Eddie, like to, so, so to speak to those two things, um, so with Kevin Spacey, he was convicted 
right? Like he was convicted of like the crimes he was accused of, right? Like Kevin Spacey was convicted of preying on underage boys at a time. Uh, I can't even remember if it was underage or, or, or like very young boys in a way that was, uh, you know, non-consensual, but like I, either way, either thing, because I'd have to look it up was inappropriate and not great and very, very, very bad. And so for me, like Drew and I have talked about when we watch American Beauty, like that's very uncomfortable. It's very hard to, to watch the movie now and feel okay about it. And I've had the same experience. So like the cruise thing you talk about, which is when he's talking about Brooke Shields, antidepressants, your glib math, that whole thing. It's a great example of like, have you ever had someone you met where you were totally convinced that what they said was correct? Like you believed it. And then years later you're like yeah that was that seemed really compelling at the time but like i've lived some life i feel a little less intense about it and like i don't actually agree with that anymore you're like okay but i understand why i did agree with it because that's what i thought at the time that's like when i watch that cruise thing it feels like if he still just believes all of that type of shit about like you know like postpartum and like okay like i guess if that's Cruz and he's like that much of a weirdo, he just like really believes that again, fine. It's not the end of the world because it's a weirdo belief, but he didn't like force himself on someone, so to speak, you know, like that's not what he did. Like, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, I actually wonder if, you know, 50 year old Cruz believes the same thing that 35 year old Cruz believes. I wonder if he's like grown a little and that's like not a part of it that he like totally buys into anymore. But again, I don't know. So it's it's just, I agree with you. It's a fucking weird interview. It's very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And that's why I, like, I really wish we could have that, you know, kind of retrospective interview. I, I like, he's kind of fallen off, like not the map, but you know what I mean? Like you don't really hear much about Tom Cruise unless he's promoting his next film. And I wish he would give that really kind of all access kind of interview that I think a lot of people are clamoring for because, you know, uh, you know, Scientology, this thing has fallen off the map like that has fallen off the map, you know, with the Internet and with everything that's been exposed because it, you know, it really has been exposed and you go down that rabbit hole and you see how how big of an, you know, exposure it's it's received. It's very rare to find someone joining Scientology today. And I just wish he would give that all access interview where you could ask him about Scientology and you could ask him, hey, have you seen your daughter in seven, eight years? Is this true? Because, you know, it will shift a lot of opinions on him. But I feel like that's why he hasn't given the interview. I feel like that's why he doesn't talk about it, because, you know, there is stuff that he doesn't want to talk about because it will shatter a lot of people's, you know, opinion of him. And that's that's bad for him, obviously. Right, right. I also think, like, imagine you were in this place. Uh, this is just me speculating so hard, but, like, imagine you were in a place where you were, like, a lot of my success and career has come from this big operation that has done great things for me and given me tons of money and tons of support and security. And then I haven't seen my daughter. And I don't like that. And I really, really want to, but I feel like it goes against the beliefs. And I actually saw the only room anything, but like, I really disagree with, I agree with what she's saying, but I like wish I could speak on it because I'm a good person, but I can't because this is where I'm at. You're sitting there thinking, I'll just keep ignoring this, keep going about my life. How would you break, how would you decide to break that silence 
without just knowing like I'm shattering my entire everything that has been my life. How would you choose to do it? You know, a big moment would have to happen. And I'm not saying that that's like, that is Cruz, because who fucking knows? Like, he's, he could just be completely immersed. But I also know that, you know, like, we all kind of in our own lives know things that are hard truths to swallow. But we don't want to admit. We don't want to take responsibility for or initiate because they're uncomfortable. And I wonder if that's a little bit of the life he's living. Yeah, I wonder at this point. Yeah, maybe it's it's uh, to say the least. It's 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 interesting, and uh, you know, I didn't want to harp on it too long, so I hope that didn't you know make you whatever. Because I know you don't try to like you know get very political or just talk on you know sensitive subjects because you know you're a very optimistic person. But um, I did know that you know you are a huge Tom Cruise fan, and I just wanted to get your take on that. But uh, I am. I mean, Eddie, I think it's important to say I'm the biggest fan. I believe Tom Cruise and I don't think you can, I don't think you can have the kind of optimistic and charismatic effect on the world that he's had. If there's not a level of good and positivity in you, I think it's impossible. I just literally think it's impossible. Uh, No matter what it's rooted in, like he has been such an incredibly unique force in the world. So I do believe that, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and there's, I'm sure some misguided ideas in the church of Scientology, you know, whichever ideas which Cruz agrees with. But, uh, for me, like when I watch, I'm still able to separate artists from art and it's not my opinion or my right really to judge his, his behavior. So I think, you know, I appreciate you asking and I really do try, try to honestly ask those questions if I can, but as it stands now, nothing has kind of shown up in my life where I'm like, I am, I am obligated to no longer support. Have you, have you gone down any rabbit holes of your own recently? Because I mean, like those are like, those are some of the most fun things with this quarantine. Just, just now that you have this endless amount of time to kind of, you know, just scour the internet. Has there anything that you've kind of discovered that you didn't know a whole lot about or not really? I've done a few, uh, rabbit holes in my life. But the one recently, it's like the third time I've done this is a Chris Farley rabbit hole. And Farley is my kind of all time hero. Like as a little kid, he was, he was my actual hero. Um, by the time I was even really obsessed, he was dead, but he died when I was 10. But, um, recently I, I rewatched, what was it? I, I watched Grown Ups the first time and I looked up and it turns out, you know, Kevin James was supposed to be Farley in that movie, which is interesting to know. And you actually hear it in the Farley song that Adam Sandler does in his set. He says, you know, basically that very much that. And so that kind of made me cry because he's, he's Farley's like my favorite of all time. And then as I started to kind of go down that rabbit hole of, of the interviews he was doing and people talking about him and all the stories you'd hear, that was a big one for me. Like I, I'm not sure Eddie, if you're a Chris Farley fan, but he was in his time, kind of like the preeminent comedy guy. He was the funniest guy in the world. And every single person who worked with him kind of just says the same thing, which is just like, this was the funniest guy that's ever lived. Like there was no one funnier than Chris Farley. And so when you, when you listen to comics and people tell their stories about him, you hear these like real stories about like, I can't remember who it was, but I was listening to one where they were like, 
I met Chris and he was like not in a good place and he was going to strip clubs and doing drugs and I barely knew him. And then he called me one night, you know, hammered. I was home with my wife and I picked up the phone and he asked me like, you know, whatever this guy's name was, like, am I funny or am I just a you know, big, dumb, fat guy, right? Like this was like in the last year of his life probably to like a semi stranger who was like working. And you hear stories like that man wow that that's the truth of what like that kind of that kind of addictive fame is like that's the truth of what it's like but i i watched a lot of farley stuff i mean i hours and hours that was that was my biggest rabbit hole probably because he's like an all-time for me and i just i guess i, I rewatched tommy boy which is like one of my all-time favorite movies and i just i wanted to just like kind of understand more of who he was in his prime he was uh he was the bus driver in billy madison right yeah, it's like one of his great roles, man. It's amazing. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've um, yeah, yeah. Chris Farley. Yeah, I was a, I guess a, a, a casual fan, I guess you could say, because that's, I, I think that's the extent of my Chris Farley. But I mean, dude, that, that role, that role right there, that's, you know, that's, that's some of the like the best stuff of Billy Madison. I think just always cutting back to the, to the bus driver. You know, like you know, I'll turn this damn bus around, and you're the right, precious. It's like one of the funniest. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I always, I always love the bus driver, but yeah. So I think, I think that's probably the big, that's probably the big one. I think, I guess, I guess the other rabbit hole that I, I feel like I went through was, and kind of related, I watched like a lot of Adam Sandler, um, weirdly enough. I think kind of Schmodown inspired, but I watched like five or six Sandler movies in a couple of weeks. Um, was kind of my my rabbit hole. How about you? Other than like, sounds like Scientology. Um, the Scientology thing for sure. I mean, I watch a lot of um, I watch a lot of podcasts, so it's sort of like whatever that podcast is talking about. Um, I watch a lot of. Uh, I guess it's a. I don't know if it's a, a rabbit hole, but I just uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, the really popular guy. Um, amazing. yeah, like I love just hearing that talk, you know what I mean? And, and, and he has a podcast. So then of course I kind of go down the rabbit hole of just, you know, binging those episodes and, and, uh, it's just fascinating stuff. And, uh, is that why you did the grow old with you? Because you went down that Adam Sandler rabbit hole? Uh, truthfully, actually, that's like an all time favorite movie of mine. I, I watched it as a kid a lot and. I, I mean, I put that song on soundtracks, you know, for years when I was in high school for girls, like, I mean, the movie came out in 98, so I was 10, so probably by the time I was, like, putting it on soundtracks for girls, I was probably 20 or, or 17 or whatever, but, like, you know, like, a, a while later, and um, he also, I mean, I mentioned it a second ago, but Sandler, on his special, did this song, the Chris Farley song, um, and it's if you are a fan of Chris Farley and you haven't watched it, like you are missing out on one of the great things because Sandler and Farley were so close. He writes a song for him and he performs it as like the finale, basically, of this set. But the last song of the actual set on the soundtrack on the album that he did is a reworked version of Grow Old With You, um, which he wrote for his wife. And he changes the lyrics and he writes it. And so I'd listen to both. And I've always loved it. And so I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I'll do that song necessarily on my show, but I definitely should learn it. And I did. And you know, it made me happy because in this time of quarantine, like, that's a legendary song for me. So to be able to learn it quickly and perform it, people really liked it. And um, 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch Wedding Singer, but I watched a ton of Sandler movies. And I think he's, I think Sandler is such a talent, Eddie. Like I, I really think like such an underrated all-time talent because of the kind of movies he's made. He's just like authentic and super smart and really talented and like just the value that he brings as a performer feels different to me than most. He, yeah, he, he is very, uh, um, it, it is a weird career because you'll see in interviews that he gives where he'll say, you know, um, when he was promoting uncut gems, he was talking about, uh, I forget who, like who he was talking to, but he was like, you know, talking about his other movies and he, you know, he started laughing about, you know, um, cause I think, uh, the person asked, he was like, you know, this is a very different role for you. This isn't like your normal stuff. And then Sandler started laughing and he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, but I, I enjoy making those other movies or something like that. And, um, it is weird that he that he that he has done that because I agree with you, man. Um, I don't know if during this this binging you watched Rain Over Me. No, that's so interesting. You mentioned that one, man. I've always I've actually always been uh, curious about it. I know I always thought it was supposedly like a terrible movie, but like I've heard one or two people say that it was really special. It yeah, it is incredibly special. It's it's. I always thought Punch Drunk Love was like the like the pinnacle of Adam Sandler's talent in terms of being able to not be, you know, at the woo woo. But, you know, when you watch Rain Over Me, that is that is a that's like Punch Drunk Love on steroids in terms of just his performance. The movie might be mediocre, but it's his performance and the and the, really the only unfortunate thing about that is it's sort of I call it the wedding singer curse because the like the real standout of the wedding singer is he has that really weird hairstyle and of course you know it's supposed to be yeah. the 80s it's supposed to be the 80s so i get it but he has the same kind of thing in rain over me where his hair is dear god it, i mean it looks like a wig 100% looks like a wig and it's just unfortunate because i feel like that's one of the only distracting elements of that thing but his performance is incredible it's like a it, it's a 911 movie essentially it's it's centered around 911 and um it's yeah, that's that's I think the pinnacle of Adam Sandler's ability to, you know, just go into that dramatic territory and then disappear because you don't see Adam Sandler when you watch that film. Um, what do you think is what do you think is so good about it? Like, I'm curious to know if I watch it, like, what is the thing that kind of stands out? For me, it's it's similar to Robin Williams. It's when I watch Robin Williams, right, when I watch a normal Williams film, when I watch Mrs. Doubtfire, when I watch, um, you know, uh, Jumanji, when I watch, you know, Bicentennial Man, I still see just Robin Williams. But when he did one hour photo, I stopped seeing Robin Williams like he disappeared. And that's, you know, that's obviously the very common critique of that film where he's gone. That's not Robin Williams anymore. That's what it is with Rain Over Me. It's I've gotten so used to Adam Sandler and his shenanigans and 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 when I pop in a Sandler film knowing, all right, I'm probably not going to really like this movie, but I'll suspend my disbelief enough to enjoy it. When when you watch that film, it's 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 the one hour photo effect of this is Sandler like you've never seen him before. And he really has that that, you know, those chops that I that I wish he would you know, do more. And it just sucks that he fell into the Netflix shit and he, you know, pumped out Sandley or uh, Sandley Wexler or whatever that was. And, and the week of, and the ridiculous six. And it's just like, I, 
I kind of wish he valued himself a little more. It, it, it just seems like he doesn't value himself enough. That's, that's where I stand, I guess. Yeah, it's fair, man. I mean, I think like, I, I, I can't say that I agree with the decision about the Netflix stuff being so wrong because I understand from a business standpoint where he's at, where he's like, look, the movies I've made since like basically 2007 are like essentially Netflix movies anyway. Like they're bad. Like most of those movies, like everything from like Chuck and Larry to Sohan to like Jack and Jill to That's My Boy. Like they're, they're bad. Like he's the whole run is bad. But like they make money, you know, and the good ones, like funny people are just go with it or are, are, you know, successes, I guess. But they're not all his. Um, and so I, I understand it. It's just like, does make me feel like even like Jack and Jill that has is a Duncachino scene, which is like, you know, the iconic sort of scene of that movie now is special because it like was a theatrically released film that had Al Pacino in it that had this like silly scene, even though it was bad. Like it was still like, did you see the, the, the Al Pacino scene in, in Jack and Jill, Adam Sandler in theaters, as opposed to like the ridiculous six where I'm like, I'm, there's no fucking way I'll ever watch that movie. <laughs> if someone told me, if someone told me like there's a scene in that movie with some famous actor or thing you needed to watch because it's on social media, like in a way that like we need to talk about it, I guess I'd watch it, but like, no. Like any of those movies, like they're not real. And that's the weirdest thing about like this sort of theatrical versus Netflix thing is that I know I don't want to feel that way, but it is how I feel. And the audience kind of feels that way too, right? Like there's a less than vibe with direct to streaming content that makes it not feel like an important movie. And I watched Murder Mystery. Um, I did because it was such a highly watched movie and I enjoyed it. But not with any kind of the same joy as like Happy Gilmore. Like, yeah, it was fine. It was entertaining enough for like a dumb streaming movie, but like I'll never be like that was special. So I don't know. Like it's it's weird how our perception of what it is actually changes drastically with the release method because I don't actually think like Probably the reality, Eddie, is that most of the movies he made on Netflix, they're actually probably just as good as his, like, previous 10 years. Honestly, they're probably just as good. We just think of them as less and are willing to point the finger as less because of the way they were released. Well, you brought up a good point there where you're, like, comparing it to Happy Gilmore. And I think audiences are more accepting of a movie like that, not only because, you know, a lot of people grew up on that and, and it has the, you know, it has the real uh, uh, benefit of, you know, being, what, 20 plus years old. But, you know, he was younger then, right? Now it's sort of like, dude, like, how old are you? And you're still making the same kind of really, you know, amateurish, you know, kiddish kind of stuff and then of course he does something like uncut gems and it's like oh dude what like why can't why can't you just transition into that like why is that so hard for you <laughs> right 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 i don't know it's 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 interesting but that's cool so, so that's the rabbit hole that you went down um yeah it's uh th this quarantine has uh, provided a lot of different uh opportunities to just kind of you know, expand, I guess, the horizons that you find interesting. And um, 
before before we wrap up, I just wanted to, um, and I am cheating here, just so you know, like I don't know all these answers, but you are uh, you are very active in the Schmodown, and um, isn't one of the, um, uh, I guess, because I don't actually watch the Schmodown, no offense, I just think that, that that's something that's not really... Um, of, of like a big interest to me, but I do know that it's, isn't there a, like a release date kind of section of that where you have to guess or like you have to answer, uh, like when a movie came out? Well, uh, it's, it's a normally a category that randomly comes up in round two. So like pretty, pretty random, pretty rare. But in my case, it's become one of my sort of patented strength, so much so that the slice that you spin on the wheel for a while had my face on it. And actually, I had an exhibition match coming up pretty soon against the other guy who's the best at it to win back my face because his face replaced my face after I replaced his face. Um, and so movie release dates, the actual year the movie came out, is significant in regular competition, like you know, 20% of the time with us, it's a big deal. Gotcha. Okay. And so I wanted to, if you'll humor me for just a second, I wanted to kind of quiz you on, on a few movie release dates and see if you were uh, up for the challenge. Go for it, man. I mean, I hope I don't get embarrassed here, but I'll try my best. <laughs> yes. So everyone listening, this is totally impromptu. Ben did not know this was coming. So, um, uh, I am cheating. Like I said, I'm on letterboxd and I, uh, uh, I have my, uh, list of movies that I've watched over the years. So that's sort of what I'm going based off of. I'm, I'm just on the list of movies that I've watched. So let's see here. I'm just clicking random ones here. We'll go with one that I know that you actually really like, Sing Street. Oh, I believe Sing Street is... Oh, I can, I can see it. I see two years... I will say 2016 is what I first saw. 2016. You got it, dude. Um, 2016. Let's go with some of these will be obscure. So, I mean, don't, uh, you, you know, definitely it's totally understandable because these are some obscure s shit that I'm watching. Uh, Woody Allen's Irrational Man. Ooh, Irrational Man. Okay. So I legitimately definitely don't know, but I'll wager a guess. Um, oh man. let's say 1994, 2015. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> that's uh, that's Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone. Um, let's do... It follows. Um, I don't totally know, but I felt like when I heard you say it, it was 2014. Okay, 2014. Yep, I'm going to go back a little further here because I don't want you to think I'm just going down year by year. Um, Paranormal Activity 2. Oof. Okay, so let's think here. Here's the, here's the logical steps. So I moved to LA in 09. In 2010, I was auditioning for this movie. Um, you auditioned for Paranormal Activity? The second one, yeah. 
Um, Whoa. I went into work. I told my, I told my other bartender, I just auditioned for it. So I guess the question is, was it, was I accurately auditioning in 2010? Because that would mean it became that probably in 2011, but it's, it's either 20, it has to be 2011 or 2012. And I guess the number of movies there have been, I would have to guess 2011. You were really close. It, uh, according to Letterboxd, which I assume is a reputable source, it says 2010. Wow. So it, I auditioned the same year it came out? That's crazy. I mean, but that makes sense, right? Those movies are really quickly put together. Yeah, that's wild. That's crazy, dude. I did not know. Like, is that something that you've talked about a lot? I had no clue you auditioned for the second Paranormal Activity. Uh, there, I mean, there was a period in like 2010, 2011, like a little after where I auditioned for a lot of stuff, man. I auditioned for Archie and Riverdale. I auditioned for a uh, bunch, bunch of CW shows, bunch of like, I, there was a, a minute where I was doing the audition thing. Shoo, that's crazy, man. I mean, that, you know, that's a, that, that's actually a pretty decent sequel. I, uh, I don't mind it that much. Um, okay. here's a, okay, here's a, here, here's a fun one. Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, these are, you're, you're, you're picking a good one. So let's think if I can <laughs> place this. Okay. Lemony Snicket. So good old Jim. Yeah. There's the show and there was a movie. So I feel like the movie, okay, so I moved to 09, it's before that, but after his like, yes man of three. So like probably like the safe picks like 06, could be 07, probably not 08 or 05. Feels like 06 or 07, 2006, 2006. Very close, 2004. Ah! Not doing great here. Not doing great. Hey, you know, it's it's totally fine. Um, just a couple more. Uh, we'll do... We'll do a classic. Borat. 2006. 2006. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Let's go a little further back. We'll do... I was about to say Jerry Maguire, but I mean, you know that. <laughs> uh, do I? Do you? That's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I, def- I definitely know Jared. Uh, ooh, here's a good one. Dante's Peak. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So, I think it's the same. I think it's the same year as Volcano. It feels like it probably is. feel like it's 97 you're right 97 and for the finale this is uh so this is uh forgiving for everything else if you get this right this forgives everything else we're going with an obscure one we'll do this one i just randomly landed on it an american werewolf in london that's a that's a it's a tough beat um for all the marbles. I watched this in, in elementary school with my friend Jonathan Peck. Um, 
uh, I think directed by John Landis. I think he came out and. I'll give you a hint. It's the it's it's the eighties. Uh, I I I think it's I think it's nineteen eighty one. Yeah, you got it. Nineteen eighty one. Oh. All the marbles, dude. You just collected them all up right with that answer. 1981, An American Werewolf in London. Is that... Okay, so 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 this is obviously nothing compared to the pressure of what I imagine the Schmodown is like. Is that is that something that people don't really truly understand? Like the pressure of that, especially when it's like a live event? Well, the live shows, I mean, that's like a whole different thing. But uh, I mean, I think like once you get once you get used to, you know, like performing, um, you, you get used to it. I think like, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, I think like once you get used to it, you kind of realize that it's like the it's like the same as kind of anything. Like you, if you get like asked a question or you, yeah, I guess you're up there in front of a camera. Like you just the whole entire thing is. Deep breath. You only have ten seconds, twelve seconds, whatever. Like, what do you know? What don't you know? Don't freak out. Don't get clammy hands. Don't get tight shoulders. I mean, I know a lot of people get that way. For me, I just I've been at it for so long now that the live events are almost better. Like, it's almost it's almost just better. Like, you know, the question comes in and. I guess the stakes get higher and it, it feels better even, but with movie release dates in particular, you can kind of tell by the way you were asking. I mean, there's the ones that I know and there's the ones I don't. And, you know, something like the Woody Allen movie you mentioned, that's a great example of like, okay, like, I don't know this. I'm going to, I'm going to miss this question. And there's the ones like you asked that were a movie I know just clearly, <laughs> Like, okay, I know that. And then there's like American Werewolf where it's like, I'm pretty sure I know this. Same with Borat. I'm pretty sure I know this. But I'm going to take my time to see if I can get there. And with that particular category, if you're, I'm going by gut feeling so hard. Like, it's so dependent on gut feeling. And you almost have to like, because like, like you had a really interesting approach to that. Love. Like when you moved to LA is sort of what it seems like you based a lot of that around you. Like I, I moved to LA this time. And so that's like a really interesting way that you kind of pinpoint, I guess, some of these dates. So I guess that's a, I guess that's a secret of yours. You have to relate it. To, you have to relate it to something you can actually sort of quantify. Like some of them are like numbers or I'm like, okay, I see this number, but it could be this number. And some are like, I remember that I was doing this when this happened, you know? Yeah. Wasn't, uh, wasn't Scott Mance like the, like the movie release guy. He's the, I mean, he's the other guy. Like, so, oh, so okay. for the, for the exhibition, for the exhibition match coming up, you know, he won, he had won the slice back after I beat him for the slice. So he and I next week are competing. It'll air sometime in the summer. Uh, he and I are competing for, to have our face on the slice. And like, I will beat Scott. Like, Scott doesn't study. He doesn't care. Like, I will beat him. Like, I Scott's a friend, and we're old friends now. But I will, I will win because like, there's, Scott has what he knows, but I have everything. I can, I can learn. I can win. Like, I will, I will crush him. I love it, dude. I love it, man. Maybe I should start watching this shit. <laughs> Jesus. 
It's it's so fun, dude. Like the storylines have gotten so good. I'm surprised you don't actually. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I watched it in the beginning and then I just like I think I lost track. Like I fell off and then I I felt like it was so far ahead that it was like, all right, this is almost impossible to catch up. And and so I think I just kind of gave up on it. But uh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Scott Mance. I always remembered that he was, you know, no matter what show he was on movie fights or uh, he went like back when he had his own thing profiles with Malone and Mance. That was a good show. Um he would like, you know, he would always talk about the movie release dates. And, uh, so that's, so that's really cool that you're going up against them. Ben, look, man, I, um, I know that, uh, you are, you know, very, very active in terms of consistently using your voice. So it's, uh, it's been a real honor to get you on here and, uh, for almost two hours and continue to use your voice. And, um, I hope that uh, everything that's been going on with you personally is is getting fixed and is working out for you and sending positive vibes, man. And and um, if there's any update you can share, go ahead. Or if you don't want to talk about it, I totally understand. But uh, I just, you know, sending nothing but positivity your way. As far as it stands right now, man, I, I, I got tested and the test came back negative. So I sh- I'm looking good. But Awesome. I still have some weird respiratory symptoms, so I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. But uh, I appreciate your support, and I, I feel perfectly fine for now. So thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, all the information uh, to Ben's multiple credits you, where you can find it, I'll have all that linked down below. So um, really, you know, like I said, really appreciate you coming on here, dude, and uh, definitely going to stay in touch with you, like always. Um and uh gonna have you back on sometime down the road this is going to be like episode in the 50s something so get you back on when we're way past the 100 mark feel like we got to put a little bit of a gap but uh get you back on here because it's always a treat man and like i said you're the only guest that's uh, that's been on every iteration of the podcast so um really really cool thanks Eddie, so much i appreciate it man all right i'll talk to you later thank you pal